Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, October 14th, 2018. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On August 23... Uh, 2003, the edition of Christian Century Magazine had an interesting study that was commissioned by Duke Divinity School's Pulpit and Pew Project and conducted by the National Opinion Research Center at the University of Chicago. Uh, Clergy from eight different denominations were asked about their reading habits, not only how often they read each week, not including sermon preparation or Bible study, uh, and those answers on how often range from approximately five hours by our Episcopal uh, pastors uh, to just two hours by the Nazarene pastors, but also who it was that they were reading. In fact, the exact question was, other than the Bible, what three authors do you read most often in your work as a pastor? Well, both mainline and Protestant, or, uh, mainline Protestant and clergy, uh, Catholic clergy named this man, Henry Nouwen as the author that they most read. Such respected and diverse leaders as former United Nations Secretary General Kofi Amin, uh, television's own Fred Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, uh, have both publicly acknowledged the considerable influence that Nowen has had, that his writing has had on them personally. Now, you may be asking, who is Henry Nowen? I'm glad you asked. Welcome to the second week in our sermon series entitled Saints Among Us. And each week during the month of October, I'm going to be introducing, or maybe reintroducing, uh, to you four contemporary people of faith that have made an influence on my life. Two of them are still with us. Two have gone on to be with the Lord. The four individuals are Mother Teresa, whom we looked at last week, Nick Vujicic, an Australian uh, who was born with no arms and no legs, We'll talk about him next week. Father Greg Boyle, a Catholic priest who works with men and women seeking to get out of the gang lifestyle here in downtown L.A. And then Henry Nouwen, whom we're spending time with today. I owe a lot of today's research to the Henry Nouwen Society that you can find at henrynouwen.org. Henry Joseph Michael Nouwen was born on January 24, 1932 in Nykirk, Holland. Now, in case you're not up on your European geography, Holland, otherwise known as the Netherlands, is just east of England and west of Germany. It's also where Neil uh, was born. Nykirk is a small town that's just south-southeast of Amsterdam. Its uh, current population is 42,000, so it kind of gives you a size of the city. Henry was born to Laurent and Maria Nouwen. He was the oldest of four children. Nowen would often say, I grew up in a very protected and safe environment, and I learned to know that I was Dutch and I was Catholic. It took me quite a long time to discover that there were people, many people, who were actually neither of those things. As a youth, Henry experienced World War II as both dangerous and exciting, rather than actually comprehending its deep significance at that time. At times, he had to bicycle into the country in search of food for his family, At other times, he helped his father hide from German soldiers. Nouwen was a good student, and he expressed his desire to become a priest 
all the way back at age six. In fact, his grandmother made a child-sized altar and clergy robes for him at age six so that he could celebrate Holy Communion with his siblings and playmates in the attic in their home. Now, that's someone who knows where they want to go at a young age, right? He was educated by the Jesuits, which is a Roman Catholic order known for its focus on scholarship, mission work, and acts of charity at a school in The Hague. But Henry decided he didn't want to become a Jesuit priest because that required too much study. But he didn't give up his dream to become a priest. And after secondary school, he spent six years at seminary. He was ordained a priest uh, for the Diocese of Utrecht on July 21st, 1957. Now and commented on more than one occasion about the two competing voices that he had in his head from a very long time, since child and youth. He said, one said, make it in the world and be sure that you do it on your own. His father, who was always proud of his accomplishments, encouraged and challenged him to become a better and more successful person. The other voice said, Whatever you do, even if it's pumping gas for your entire life, be sure you keep loving Jesus. His mother spoke those words as she praised and affirmed Henry uh, for who he was, and at the same time always calling him to love the Lord. Now said he spent the first half of his life listening to the first voice that his father would echo, and then the second part of his life listening to that second voice with his mother's encouraging words. Henry was interested in pastoral ministry, and he knew that the comparatively new discipline of psychology was also important, despite the fact that some in the church felt that it did not go hand in hand with faith. Immediately following ordination, Nouwen was granted further study in psychology at the University of Nijmegen. During the six years he studied there, Nouwen also worked briefly as a pastor in some of the mines. He was a chaplain in the army, even a chaplain on the Holland American Cruise Line, accompanying uh, tourists or accompanying immigrants to America. He graduated as a psychologist in 1963, and now in, in 1966 accepted an invitation to teach psychology and spirituality at the University of Notre Dame, and he spent two years there. He developed courses in pastoral theology that reflected his knowledge of psychology, and he wrote his first two books while he was at Notre Dame. Henry returned to the Netherlands to teach pastoral psychology and spirituality. And once again, he realized that his heart was drawing him to theology, to the studying of God and helping others grow closer. He pursued a doctrine in theology, received that degree in 1971. His studies confirmed his passion for educating and pastoral ministry. And then Nouwen spent 10 fruitful years from 1971 to 1981 at Yale Divinity School. And when he agreed to teach, he asked for a certain, certain conditions to be met. He asked for tenure after three years and to be granted full professorship within five years. He also wanted to be free to write without restrictions. And over the next 10 years, Nouwen's classes became some of the most popular on campus. This period was very fruitful. He made many good friends, uh, was beloved by his students, and he began to publish prolifically. Perhaps his most famous book, The Wounded Healer, was penned while he was teaching at Yale. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about this book because it's had uh, a big influence not only on my life, but in the lives of countless others. Early on in this book, which he uh, first published in 1972, 
Henry tells this powerful story, uh, which I call Looking into the Fugitive's Eyes. It goes like this. One day, a young fugitive, trying to hide himself from the enemy, entered a small village. The people were kind and offered him a place to stay, but when the soldiers who sought the fugitive asked where he was hiding, everyone became a little fearful. The soldiers threatened to burn down the village and kill every man in it unless the young man was handed over to them before dawn. The people went to the minister and asked the minister what they should do. The minister, torn between handing over the boy to the enemy or having his people killed, withdrew to his room and read his Bible, hoping to find an answer before the deadline at dawn. After many hours, in the early morning, his eyes fell on these words, It is better that one man dies than that the whole people be lost. The minister closed his Bible, called the soldiers, and told them where the boy was hidden. After the soldiers led the fugitive away to be killed, there was a feast in the village because the minister had saved the lives of so many of the people, but the minister did not celebrate. Overcome with deep sadness, he remained in his room. That night, an angel came to him and asked, What have you done? He said, I handed over the fugitive to the enemy. And then the angel said, But don't you know that you've handed over the Messiah? shocked. The minister replied anxiously, how could I have known that? And then the angel said, if instead of reading your Bible, you would have visited this young man just once and looked into his eyes, then you would have known. It's an important story for the book because it calls those of us in pastoral ministry to enter into the suffering and struggles of those with whom we're called to minister to. But at the same time, we have to be able to recognize the pain, doubt, and the struggles that we all have in our lives, even pastors. In fact, Nowen says, we have to be willing to make our own wounds available as a source of healing for others. We have to be able to put our faith in doubt, our hope in despair, our light in darkness at the disposal of others who want to find a way through their confusion and touch a solid core of life. Nowen writes, The beginning and the end of all Christian leadership is to give your life for others. Real martyrdom means a witness that starts with the willingness to cry with those who cry, to laugh with those who laugh, and to make one's own painful and joyful experiences available as sources of clarification and understanding. The Talmud is the compilation of historic rabbis who have been discussing and debating what the Torah, or the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, means. Nowen retells a poignant story from the Talmud in his book, The Wounded Healer. Rabbi Yahshua ben Levi came upon Elijah the prophet while he was standing at the entrance of Rabbi Simeron ben Yohai's cave. And he asked Elijah, when, when will the Messiah come? Elijah replied, go and ask him yourself. But where is he? He asked. He's sitting at the gates of the city. How will I know him when I see him? He's sitting among the poor, covered with wounds. The others unbind all of their wounds at the same time and then bind them up again. But he, the Messiah, unbinds one at a time and binds it back up, saying to himself, perhaps I shall be needed. If so, I must always be ready so as to not delay 
for a moment. Now it says that the wounded healer is one who, yes, must first look after his own wounds, but at the same time be prepared when called upon to attend to the wounds of others like Jesus did. He's never so immersed in his own pain and wounds that he can't give help to those in need. Always be ready, even in the midst of your own struggles. Because we're all wounded and broken to some extent. But we can all be used by God to help others. And it's precisely our sources of pain that can lead to healing for those around us. It's a way of connecting to the depth of pain and suffering that is, in, that is present in all people. As Christians, we cannot take away one another's pain. That's not our job. On the contrary, we're at our best when we enter into the pain of another, which deepens its meaning and opens both of our hearts to God's grace. In our scripture reading today from the Gospel of John, it's the resurrection day. Jesus has risen from the dead, but appeared only to Mary Magdalene, according to John, at the tomb. And that night he comes to where the disciples have gathered. They're terrified. They're, they're worried that the religious authorities, if they've killed Jesus, might be after them next. And so they're gathered together in a locked room when this happens. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus appeared to his followers, and he was willing to share his wounds, to be exposed. Now, part of that might be to prove to them that it really was him. But on a deeper level, I believe that Jesus was even stronger after the resurrection. And Jesus comes to each of us in the midst of our fear and confusion and pain. He is the ultimate wounded leader. But through his healing touch, our own wounds and scars can then become a source of healing for others as well. Now encloses this very short book with these words. This is the announcement of the wounded healer. The master is coming, not tomorrow, but today. Not next year, but this year. Not after all of our misery has passed, but in the middle of it. Not in another place, but right here where we are standing. That may be the good news that some of us here today need so desperately to hear. That Jesus comes to us now, in the midst of all of the drama and the stress and the struggles and the pain that we are going through. In the late 1970s, Nowen became interested in the political and theological developments that were so deeply affecting the poor in Central and South America. In 1981, he left Yale uh, to spend six months discerning whether he should join the Marino fathers and brothers to live with and serve the poor in Peru. And although this turned out not to be his calling, his visits to the South expanded his worldview and deepened his engagement with social justice. In 1983, Henry Nowen accepted a part-time professorship at Harvard Divinity School. And he agreed to teach only one semester each year, which allowed him the other semester to travel. So on his off semester, he crisscrossed North America, speaking about the conditions in Latin America. And it was a difficult time for him because he said he, he didn't really feel home in either place. He didn't feel home at Harvard, and he didn't feel at home being a missionary 
in the United States. Despite his popularity at Harvard, Henry was not happy. He found it to be a very ambitious and competitive environment, and he yearned for community. He wrote, After 25 years of priesthood, I found myself praying poorly, living somewhat isolated from other people, and very much preoccupied with burning issues. I woke up one day with the realization that I was living in a very dark place and that the term burnout was a convenient psychological translation for a spiritual death. So, in 1985, Nowen resigned from Harvard and went to stay at L'Arche, the L'Arche community in Trostly Brill in France, just north of Paris. A chance meeting with Jean Benet, uh, the founder of L'Arche, an international movement of communities that welcome people with disabilities, inspired Nowen to spend a year writing in the original L'Arche community in Trostly. L'Arche is the French word for the art, and it's called... Uh, it calls to mind a safe place for people to live, not just those with disabilities. Jean Benet said to him, Henry, maybe our community of handicapped people can offer you a home, a place where you will be really safe, where you can meet God in a whole new way. The community of L'Arche was exactly what Henry Nouwen was craving I found a a video of a graduation speech that Nowen gave one year at Earlham College in Indiana. And I'm just going to show you a a very short segment, about a minute long, uh, because I want you to hear him speak in person. Let's watch as he talks about the power of community. You need community. You really need community. Without community, you and life will be isolated. And at the same time, community is the place of your purification, of your sanctification. Because in community, you are tested constantly to not expect from an other human being what only God can give. And in a way, community living, as important as it is to let the light of God and the communion of God become known to the world, at the same time, it's the place that calls you right back to that community. The longer you live community, the more you know you have to spend the nights in communion with God. Precisely because the community calls you always back to the source of it. And so it's that mystery of communion leads to community, but community always calls you to a deeper, 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 deeper level of communion. Because community is the place of detachment of not wanting it all for yourself, of not of having to let go of a lot of things you're attached to, of being willing to live as people with characters that you never thought you would survive with. And he says, in community we are tested constantly not to expect from another, another human being what only God can give. So powerful. We need each other, friends. For it is in community that we're also drawn into a deeper relationship with God. Well, while he was spending time in France, he had an opportunity to travel to Toronto, Canada to officiate at a wedding. And he sought permission to stay for a week at the L'Arche Daybreak residence in Richmond Hill. And while he was there, uh, one of the residents, a man named Raymond, was hit by a car and left in critical condition. Nowen provided spiritual guidance to the community and to Raymond's family, ultimately helping to reconcile the community and the family who had partially blamed Daybreak 
for Raymond's injuries. And Alan's intervention had such an impact on the people there at Daybreak that they actually asked him to stay as their pastor. And so in 1986, he accepted that call and moved from France to the L'Arche Daybreak in Canada, where he would spend the last 10 years of his life. Daybreak was like Henry's homecoming. He lived in one of the homes and was asked to help Adam Arnett, a man with severe disabilities, with his morning routine. Now, his last book that he wrote was called Adam, God's Beloved. And he describes how Adam became his friend, his teacher, and his guide. Not the other way around. That he learned from this young man. And after recovering from a severe depression, Nowen began to experience perhaps his deepest fulfillment as a priest, as a friend, as an author, as a lecturer, and as a mentor. He gave countless talks and retreats. He welcomed hundreds of people for counsel and still found time to write. And whenever he traveled or lectured, he invited a core member, which was what they called a a person with disability at large. He invited a core member to accompany him as his co-speaker and co-facilitator. Contributions to the spirituality of Larsh was as profound uh, a, a transformation as he experienced at Daybreak. Now, I want to spend a little bit more time introducing you to another one of Nowen's books called Life of the Beloved. It was actually published four years before his last piece, uh, Adam, God's Beloved. Nowen commented that over the years he came to realize that the greatest trap in our lives wasn't success or popularity or power but it was, are you ready? Self-rejection. We have come to believe, he writes, in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. We are the beloved. We are intimately loved long before our parents, teachers, spouses, children, and friends loved or wounded us. That is the truth of our lives. Towards the end of his book, Nowen mentions how aware he's become of how much we fearful, anxious, insecure human beings are in need of a blessing, of someone to remind us that we are beloved. And he shared this true story. Not long ago, in my own community, he writes, I had a very personal experience of the power of real blessing. Shortly before I started a prayer service in one of the homes, Janet, a handicapped member of the community, came to me and said, Henry, can you give me a blessing? So I responded somewhat in an automatic way by tracing with my thumb the sign of the cross on her forehead. But instead of being grateful, she protested vehemently, no, 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 that doesn't work. I want a real blessing, she said. Suddenly, he writes, I became aware of the ritualistic quality of my response to her request. And I said, oh, Janet... I'm so sorry. Let me give you a real blessing when we are all together for the prayer service. She nodded with a smile, and then I realized something special was required. After the service, when about 30 people were sitting in a circle on the floor, I said, Janet has asked me for a special blessing. She feels that she needs it right now in her life. As I was saying this, I didn't really know what Janet wanted, but Janet didn't leave me in doubt for very long. As soon as I had said, Janet has asked me for a special blessing, she stood up and walked towards me. I was wearing a long white robe with ample sleeves covering my hands as well as my arms, and spontaneously, Janet put her arms around me and then put her head against my chest. Without thinking, I covered her with my sleeves so that she almost vanished in the folds of my robe, and as we held each other, I said, Janet... I want you to know 
that you are God's beloved daughter. You are precious in God's eyes. Your beautiful smile, your kindness to the people in your house, and all the good things you do show what a wonderful and beautiful human being you are. I know you feel a little low these days, and I want you to remember who you are, a very special person, deeply loved by God, and all the people who are here today. He writes, as I said these words, Janet raised her head and looked at me. And her broad smile showed that she had really heard and received the blessing. When she returned to her place, Jane, another handicapped woman, raised her hand and said, I want a blessing too. She stood up and before I knew it, she had put her face against my chest. And after I had spoken the words of blessing to her, many more of the handicapped people followed, expressing that same desire to be blessed. The, touching, the most touching moment came when one of the assistants, one of the staff members, a 24-year-old student, raised his hand and said, um, what about me? Can I come too? And he said, sure. He came, and as we stood before each other, I put my arms around him and said, John, it is so good that you are here. You are God's beloved son. Your presence is a joy for us all. When things are hard and life is burdensome, always remember that you are loved with an everlasting as I spoke these words, he looked at me and with tears in his eyes said, thank you very much. That evening, now and concludes, I recognized the importance of blessing and being blessed and reclaimed it as a true sign of the beloved. The blessings that we give to each other are expressions of the blessings that rest on us from all eternity. It is the deepest affirmation of our true self. Now and finishes his book by saying that the greatest fulfillment in life lies in giving ourselves away for others. Not everyone has the same talents, he writes, but we all have many gifts. The gifts are the many ways we express our humanity. They're the part of who we are. Friendship, kindness, patience, joy, peace, forgiveness, gentleness, love, hope, trust, many others. These are gifts that we have to give away to others. The unfathomable mystery of God, he writes, is that God is a lover who wants to be loved. The one who created us is waiting for our response to the love that gave us our being. As I was researching Henry Nouwen's life this week and scouring the internet for photos, I came across this photo. And I said, hey, I know this guy. That's Michael Christensen. He was one of my seminary professors at at Drew Theological School in Madison, New Jersey in the early 90s. And what a surprise to see him with a picture of Henry Nouwen. So I uh, copied the picture and I emailed Michael uh, and I asked him if he would like to share a story about his relationship with Henry. He said the photo was taken just a few months before Henry died. Henry had come over to his house Uh, Well, he was there at Drew a a few years after I had already left and was having dinner with his wife, himself, and their two girls. Turns out that Michael actually studied under Nowen at Yale Divinity School, and they had remained fairly close over the next two decades. In fact, Michael once wrote that there was no person in the world who had more influence on his adult spiritual life than Henry Nowen as a teacher, as a writer, and as a spiritual friend. Anyway, the night this photo was taken, they had a wonderful dinner together. They had talked about all sorts of things. And then when uh, they had finished dessert, 
they went downstairs into the basement to watch the 1996 Summer Olympics. Henry was sitting there with Michael's three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Megan, on his lap, and Michael's family had recently been into a, a trip into New York City, and Megan had seen all sorts of big buildings, and she was wrestling with this idea that God was both big and small. And so she asked Henry, just out of the blue, a not-so-simple question. How big is God? She asked. Henry replied, Megan, God is as big as your heart. Of course, she followed up with, and how big is that? To which Henry stretched out his hands and said, Your heart is big enough to hold the whole world. What a great answer, wasn't it? That we're called by God to have a heart big enough to contain the whole world. And God will be as big or as small as we decide to let him be in our lives. Will he move through us and work with us, or will we keep him at a distance? While flying to Russia to do a documentary about Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son, Henry Nouwen suffered a heart attack in the Netherlands. He died on Saturday, September 21st, 1996. He's buried in Richmond Hill, Ontario, close to his day, uh, daybreak community. He showed and continues to show ministers, teachers, and seekers of how one's gifts are to be placed at the service of those to whom God sends along our way. No matter what season of life it may be, there's always someone that God sends to us that we can be a blessing to. In the very last paragraph, the last words of his book, Life of the Beloved, now one says this. Am I afraid to die? I am every time I let myself be seduced by the noisy voices of the world telling me that my little life is all I have and advising me to cling to it with all my might. But when I let those voices move to the background of my life and listen to that still, small, soft voice calling me the beloved, I know that there is nothing to fear. And that dying is the greatest act of love, the act that leads me into the eternal embrace of my God whose love is everlasting. Thanks be to God for the life and legacy of Henry Nowen. May we continue to learn from this wounded healer that we might live the kind of life that Jesus calls us to.